fantastic book. Simply groundbreaking. I think it's very important. Best book I've read. Extremely uh, interesting. Absolutely stupendous. Fun to read. Very well researched. Just phenomenal. Very profound. Welcome to episode two of the Asian Aspiration Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm your host, Marie Noel. If you've joined us for the first time, as always, we're we're super happy to have you here. Um, If you are a loyal follower, i.e. you listened to the first episode, thank you for coming back. (laughs) That's a vote of confidence and we appreciate it. So as you mentioned before, we would be exploring sort of the themes of the book, The Asian Aspiration, um, which has been described, by the way, in the words of one of our authors himself as the book of the century. In case you missed last week's episode, here's what it's all about. The, the example from, from Asia is one of, of, as we term it in the book, of aspiration. And we can, we can do the same thing. It's a matter of application. It's a matter of making better choices. All right, so in today's episode, we're looking a bit more into the topic of, or the role of crisis actually in shaping history, both in Asia and in Africa. Without further ado, let's get right into it. So today, some of the things we'll be addressing, we are contextualizing around a couple of questions, right? So what is a national crisis and how can it be turned into an opportunity? Let's look now at some examples from the Asian aspiration. Bear with me, I'm about to give you a whole lot of information. From one of our chapters, use, don't lose a crisis, the urgency for change. Africa's leaders have to adopt a similar sense of urgency as Asia if they are to ensure that their countries not only survive but prosper in the face of huge demographic changes they face. It is projected that the African continent, north and south of the Sahara together, will double its population to 2.5 billion by 2050, with the bulk of this increase being in the cities, where more than half of African citizens will be living by 2030. In 1960, this figure was just 10%. Africa's current cohort of some 420 million young people aged 15 to 35 years already face a daunting future. Only one in six is in stable wage employment, and just 75% are literate, the lowest of any region globally. With the number of young people on the continent set to double within the next generation, they will no doubt disrupt the economic, political, and social status quo. How this turns out is dependent on the decisions that are made today. Absent the necessary reforms, the more pressured urban setting too can only become one of heightened contestation. With the right preparation and better management, Africa's cities can, however, become poles of rapidly improving prosperity. After all, Asia has been able to reap a demographic dividend where birth rates have fallen in tandem with skilled, healthy adults coming into a booming job market. Through education, family planning, and of course, fit-for-purpose infrastructure and institutions. 
Asia should offer Africa hope given its remarkable development path. So this quote is one that was taken from the introduction of the book, a lengthy one, but it definitely sets the context for the discussion we're hoping to have today. Let me now check in again with Greg Mills, director of the Brentus Foundation and one of the authors of the book. So Greg, there seems to be an ongoing theme in the book um, on using a crisis as an opportunity for necessary change. Why is this such an important theme? Well, I think crisis and the way in which you label your economic development program uh, provides an opportunity to to, to do things which probably you wouldn't get away with politically. Now, a lot of people think that Asia gets away with things politically because uh, most Asian countries are not classical democracies. But in fact, there's this commitment to people and to welfare which, which makes leadership very sensitive to, to the sentiments of their population. Uh, they don't just willy-nilly go about big changes. But when you have a crisis you are able to, to push forward dramatic reforms which otherwise could potentially prove politically fatal. For example, Singapore in 1965 and the separation, the disintegration of the Federation with Malaysia, the separation from Malaysia, provided Lee Kuan Yew with political capital to go about some radical reforms. Uh, similarly, uh, China, uh, at the end of the Mao period, which had delivered, of course, consolidation across China, which was a, a very notable inheritance, but it also, in a sense, delivered an inheritance of, of a very backward country by comparison in development terms to, to the rest of the world, uh, with, 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 radical, with the experience of radical and, and very costly uh, um, great leaps forwards and cultural revolutions. Deng Xiaoping, who ultimately took over from Mao and his immediate successors, was able to, to set about his own economic philosophy, which allowed the market in, because people were, were while, while appreciative of what Mao did, were fed up with their development lot relative to the rest of the region. Of course, Japan, as the granddaddy of development processes across East Asia, itself had a calamitous moment with the Second World War and that accelerated the, 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 the changes that had already begun in the 19th century but had, were, were more focused then on measuring development not after 1945 not by militarism but focused on measuring development by, by jobs and by growth and by technological prowess and, and out of the embers of course of Japan in 1945 grew the modern Japan of today and all the technological prowess that it stands for and that we know it for. Uh, and across the region, um, Vietnam after the end of its bitter wars, Laos and Cambodia, Simli uh, um, uh, and other countries, they've all experienced to various degrees, political crises at various moments, which they have used then as ways of, of uh, where things have gone well, of ways of, of making very big changes. Uh, um, and, and, and I think the, the point to be made here with regard to Africa is that often we, we let the opportunity, which is inherent in crises, slip. 
Um, we don't use it as a moment to usher in radical reforms. Uh, if you think of South Africa, for example, very low growth currently, rather than changing direction, uh, we have focused on unity uh, among the ruling party as being the determinant essentially of, of government policy and of the effect of government policy rather than of growth uh, and of, of the improvement of development prospects through job creation. We've allowed ourselves to, to well, in fact, we've, 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 we've ignored the opportunity and allowed ourselves to be or shaped more by the history of South Africa than about current and future uh, realities and prospects. And the same is true, I think, generally across the African continent. It's, it's, a, it's of course, a generalization. But where countries have used the opportunity to carry out far-reaching reforms uh, because of crises, and one thinks of contemporary Ghana here, for example, uh, there have been very positive results. Overall, there seems to be an idea that Africa has not used this crisis as well as Asia has. Let's hear from two Zimbabwean leaders who have some thoughts on this. First up, here's Nelson Shamisa, president of Zimbabwe's official opposition, the Movement for Democratic Change. Uh, in Japan, after the World War, there was the ability to turn a crisis into an opportunity because the population was uh, uh, engaged, they looked in, and also uh, uh, appreciated the direction that the country needed to take. Even in America under Abraham Nicolin, uh, Lincoln, it was also part of the uh, issue of involving the people. You know, look at uh, even the Marshall Plan uh, in Europe. Again, the population had to be engaged, but that requires visionary leadership, strong leadership. Next up, we have Tendai Beatty, a very familiar face if you follow the Brentes Foundation. He's also the former Zimbabwean Minister of Finance and also a member of the opposition. Here's what Tendai had to say. Well, I think the imperative is to turn uh, the crisis uh, into an opportunity. The idea is to uh, use the crisis as a mobilization, as a point of mobilization. Uh, the masses, the elites, uh, the technocrats, in crafting a way forward out of the out of the morass, uh, the past 40 years, 50 years of independence have been a total disaster, and we've used uh, we've missed uh, you know opportunities. The different growth paths between uh, Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and East Asia is precisely because uh, African leaders have been asleep, African leaders have been uh, partying, African leaders have engaged in uh, crony uh, in capitalism. There is no sense of panic, there is no uh, sense of agency, and it's business as, as, as usual. Uh, regrettably, that requires a new crop of uh, leaders. We can't expect that to come from uh, the exhausted nationalist parties uh, that are dominant on the African uh, continent. A new crop of leaders is to emerge uh, that are techno-savvy, uh, that recognize the importance of education, the importance of innovation, uh, the importance of uh, globalization and the importance of using social markets as a tool of uh, development, the importance of building strong uh, 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 institutions that are not uh, extractive, the importance of the, of the rule of law, uh, all these things form part of an ecosystem, the importance of democracy, all these things form part of an ecosystem that is a precondition of moving uh, Africa forward.
So that's definitely very insightful insight. <laughs> very insightful <laughs> content. That's definitely very insightful content from um, the two Zimbabwean politicians. Let me now check in again with Greg Mills, director of the Brentas Foundation and one of the authors of the book. I think the big lesson about Asia in this context is, is development is not one thing. It's not just about what leadership does. It's not just about getting foreign direct investment. It's not just about education, about better uh, gender uh, equality. It's not just about improving inequality uh, towards better equality. It's not just about improving trade linkages with the rest of the world. It's in fact about all of these things. There's no silver bullet. It, the silver bullet is a very complicated, complex, integrated package of getting many things right, which, which I think hints at one of the most important aspects of Asian development, which is on the one hand you have to have good crises and use the opportunity to make big reforms and changes of direction. On the other hand, you've got to build institutions, which is a much longer process. Crises are good, but it's not only about crises. So just before we sign off, there's something our listeners and readers probably ought to know about this book. Our authors narrowly avoided some crises of their own while doing research in Asia. Emily, do you want to share and do us the honours? <laughs> well, just very briefly, um, we actually arrived in Taiwan uh, the day after Typhoon hit. Um, so that was a narrow escape. And then um, uh, I left Hong Kong. Uh, the day before the airport was closed from the protests. Oh, that's right, the protests, yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness, I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah, so, um, so s skills for avoidance, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Being on time, uh -huh. having your time right, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's all, folks. Uh, thanks again for joining us. This was episode two of the Asian Aspiration podcast. We hope you do join us again next week as we delve a bit deeper into the Asian Aspiration and Asia's developmental lessons for Africa. Make sure to tune in via our website, theasianaspiration.com. You can also find us on social media and check out what we're busy with. Our LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook pages are all very good resources, so use them. Please talk to us. Um, um, if you have any questions as well, please do not hesitate to email us. We are more than happy to um, respond to that. Other than that, thank you for joining us and catch you next week.